Father in heaven, thank you that you are a good, good Father. And we celebrate you this morning. Father, we thank you for what we looked at last Sunday, the cross and the resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Father, for that awesome thing that you did for us on Good Friday. Thank you for your resurrection from the dead. And thank you, Lord, because of those events, today you are dwelling in our hearts. And we love you, Lord, and we praise you. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And now, Holy Spirit, we ask you, invite you to come and lead our Bible study. We ask you to come and lead our hearts to your throne room by your Holy Spirit. Minister to us this morning in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Great to see everyone this morning. How's everybody doing? You know, one of, our, one, of, one of my goals, one of my visions here at Calvary Chapel Irmo is, is that we fight biblical illiteracy. We fight biblical literacy. The one thing I want people that come to Calvary Chapel to know is I want them to know their Bible. That's it. There, there, you just heard the pastor's uh, motivation in ministry is, is, to, is for you to understand what the Bible teaches for you to understand how great and how magnificent God is and for you to come to know him more deeply and more intimately. I believe that the, the whole Bible makes a whole person, okay? Solid teaching makes a solid believer, you know? And when it comes to scripture, when it comes to systematic theology, we, we like to teach on every attribute of God that's in the Bible. We teach on God's grace. We teach on God's love. We teach on God's truth. We teach on God's holiness. And this morning, and probably for the next four or five Sundays, as, as we work our way through the Great Tribulation, we're going to talk about the judgments of God. The judgments of God. Because that's clearly what's on display here during the Great Tribulation period. Uh, just a quick rundown of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 through 3 was the church age. Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, John says, After these things, what things? The church age. He was taken up to heaven. Revelation chapter 5, John is in heaven. He's weeping because there's no one there who's worthy to take the scroll. Then Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah shows up. And he is worthy to take the scroll. Revelation chapter 6 we see the seal judgments being poured out on the earth. And then uh, Revelation chapter 7, there's a brief interlude where we see uh, many people coming to Christ during the Great Tribulation period. 144,000 Jews, and the scripture also says a great multitude of Gentiles. So we come to Revelation chapter 8 this morning, and we're looking at, we're going from the seal judgments to the trumpet judgments. To the trumpet judgments. Now, just a quick reminder, because we've been going through the book of Revelation this year, but we stopped for, uh, for the last two weekends to look at the cross and the resurrection. But I want to give you the three main purposes of the book of Revelation, because this helps you wrap your mind. This helps you understand what the book is teaching. But the first purpose of the book of, the purpose of the Great Tribulation is to wake up believers. It's to wake up, excuse me, wake up unbelievers. It's to God is getting the attention of the unbelievers of the world, and he's saying, turn to me, repent, 
Put your trust in me. So he's waking up the unbelievers in the world as he's pouring out his wrath, as he's pouring out judgment. Secondly, he's shaking the nation of Israel. Man, you, you, one of the things that you have to understand when you study the book of Revelation, if you don't know your Old Testament, you're going to be lost. Okay? Because Revelation chapter 6 through verse 18, almost every single chapter, there's references to Old Testament. So it's like, Revelation chapter 6, verse 18, it's almost like we've gone back to the Old Testament because the church has been removed at the rapture and God is focusing his attention on the nation of Israel. And so there's all kinds of imagery and symbolic pictures of the nation of Israel. And finally, it's to prepare for the millennial kingdom. After the great tribulation, uh, the scripture teaches at the end of the book of Revelation, there will be a literal 1,000-year reign of Christ. Okay? But before this kingdom comes in, this perfect, beautiful kingdom, God has got to clean house. And that's what's taking place in this book. So when you look at the book of Revelation and you see all these judgments being poured out, and some people be like, man, that's, that's, that's mean. Or that's not nice. No, you, you're missing the picture. This is God doing what every single human being, if they're honest, wants done, which is he's purging the world of evil of wickedness and sin. So that's what's taking place in this book. So y'all ready to dive in this morning to Revelation chapter eight? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. As we look at the text, as we study it, Lord, open our hearts. Let our hearts burn within us as we trust you, as we love you, and as we follow you as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Okay, Revelation chapter 8, verse 1 says, When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Now, the first thing I want you to notice in verse, eight, in, in verse 1 is, who is breaking the seal? Who is breaking the seal? The Lamb. The Lamb of God. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is breaking the seal. And this is important because many people, when they think of Jesus, all they like to think of is his love, his grace, and his mercy. But what you need to understand in the book of Revelation is this is the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is pouring out his judgment. Other places in the book of Revelation, it talks about the wrath of the Lamb. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? He's purged the sin out of our life through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, through being born again. We're completely made clean. But now Jesus is going to pour out his wrath on this sinful world to cleanse it and purify it. And notice uh, there's silence in heaven. It says, the second half of, of verse one says, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. What's up with that? Why is there silence in heaven? In Revelation chapter seven that we looked at three weeks ago, there was a great multitude. There was a myriad of angels. There was elders. And there was all these people surrounding the throne in heaven. And they were singing blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might and be to our God forever and ever. And then all of a sudden, there's silence.
That was 30 seconds. Imagine 30 minutes. Heaven was filled with praise. The angels were crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb. And all of a sudden, there's this deafening silence across the landscape of heaven. Here's what's going on, family. Heaven sees the coming judgments, and they are left speechless. What we're going to look at over the next couple weeks is going to be tough. It's going to be tough. It's going to show you the, the depravity of man, and it's going to show you how hard a man's heart can get when he rebels against the Lord and what it takes to get them to repent, what it takes to get them to understand the, the, the brevity of the judgment to wake them up. You know, Christ loves us. He died on the cross to show his love for us. He demonstrates his love for us at the cross, Romans 5, 8. Um, but he, and he desires for all men to come to him. But there comes a point where the judgments just intensify, intensify, intensify to where people, men get to a point where their heart is so hardened they won't turn to Christ. Family, let's pray that the Holy Spirit keeps our hearts soft and pliable as we serve the Lord by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 2. He says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. Now, what's the good question when you look at verse 2? Why seven trumpets? Why can't he just say, I'm going to pour out my judgment? Why, why, does the, uh, why does God use seven trumpets? To rightly understand the trumpets, you have to know your Old Testament. Throughout this whole book, we're going to be referring back to the Old Testament because this is Revelation chapter 6, verse, chapter 6 through chapter 18. God is dealing with Israel. And the nation of Israel and the prophets, they linked the blowing of trumpets to a future day of judgment. They associated trumpets and horns. One, you see in Old Testament passages where it was a call to battle. But secondly, you see Old Testament passages where the trumpet was a call to, for judgment. Joel chapter 2 verse 1 says, Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. He says, blow a trumpet in Zion, the opening of the verse. Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 16 says, Near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, you look at this Old Testament, New Testament, it's talking about the tribulation period. It's talking about the, the day of accountability. Uh, listen, the day of the Lord. In it, the warrior cries out bitterly, a day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet, a day of trumpet and the battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. And even when you roll into the New Testament, what do we see associated with Christ's return in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. What's associated with the returns of Christ? A trumpet. How'd that sound? Does that sound okay? Oh, wow. Cool. So yeah, so there's a trumpet. So the trumpet, Old Testament, New Testament, is a sign of the day of the Lord. It's a sign of, of judgment. 
And so that's what's going on in verse 2. Then we get into verse 3. Keep your Old Testament caps on. Verse 3 says, Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. Again, the book of Revelation is referring back to Old Testament imagery. We have an angel here in verse 3 with a golden censer. What is a golden censer? A golden censer was a bowl, a golden bowl on the end of a chain, and it was used in the Old Testament uh, tabernacle and the temple to take hot coals from the brazen altar to the altar of incense. Imagine the, 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 the tabernacle in the wilderness. Out in the court, you had the brazen lavere where they washed their hands. You had the brazen altar where they made the sacrifice. That's where animals were consumed in the flames. And, they, and then they would take uh, hot coals from that brazen altar and a golden censer, and they would go into the holy place, not into the holy of holies, but they would go into the holy place. And right before the temple veil was this golden altar of incense. And they would take those hot coals and they would put them there at the golden altar of incense where incense was burned. And the incense being burned at the golden altar was a picture of the prayers of the saints. It was the aroma of heaven. Family, our prayers, your prayers are the aroma of heaven. God loves to hear our prayers. And we, our, hope and, and our hope and our desire is that we pray so much that we fill heaven with, with the incense of our prayers. Verse 4, it, 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 continuing this thought on, on the incense. Verse 4 says, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angels' hands. Your prayers, family, your intercessions, your praises are a fragrant offering before the Lord. You realize that, you know, when we pray, our hearts need to be into it. Our minds need to be engaged because our, your prayers, your intercession, and even our praise and worship, our corporate praise and worship on Sunday morning, you know, is, is, is a fragrant offering to the Lord. That's why the question we need to ask is not how well did, do, do we like worship or do we like prayer, but the big question is, is God, are you pleased with our prayers? Are you pleased with our worship? Are you pleased with our intercession? You know, your, your prayer life, intercession life, uh, praise life, is an expression of three things. One, your faith in Christ. Your faith in Christ. If your faith is strong and as your faith grows stronger, your prayer life should increase with your faith. Your, uh, your prayer life is an expression of your trust in him. And your prayer life is an expression of your confidence in the power of the Lord. You know, family, we need to think about this next time you go to pray. Maybe tomorrow morning when you're doing your devotions and you're reading your Bible and you close your Bible and you in prayers. Uh, just imagine, because it's not just imaginary, it's real. Your prayers that you're calling out to God are an incense going up to him. And let me tell you something. He welcomes your prayers. He welcomes your intercession. He welcomes you as a loving heavenly father to come to him and to call upon his name and to praise him and to adore him 
and to exalt him and to pray for the needs of the body. You know, God never gets tired of hearing your prayers. He, he, he loves your prayers because they are an incense before his throne. They are an aroma before him. Verse 5 Verse five says, um, we're getting close to the, um, to the judgment's beginning. Verse five, then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. This is the prelude. This is the very beginning of these trumpet judgments but passages like this are foreign to many Christians. You know, many of us are we're so inoculated with the love and the grace of God that we have forgotten the judgment of God. If your only view of God is he is just a God of love and grace and there is no judgment in your theology, there is no understanding of his righteousness in your theology, that is idolatry. You're creating a God you are comfortable with and one that does not align with the scriptures. Yes, God is abounding in love. God is abounding in grace. God is abounding in mercy, okay? Yes, he's full of love and grace and truth and mercy and compassion, and he takes care of us. But at the same time, he's also a God of justice, and he's a God of holiness, and he will judge the world in perfect righteousness. So we need to, you need to have an understanding. I think it was Alistair Begg said, without a right understanding of the wrath and the judgment of God, grace and mercy are robbed of their meaning. If there is no real judgment, if there is no real wrath, then, then grace and mercy don't exist. There has, there, you have to understand both. And when you understand the judgment and the wrath of God, you're like, yes! Praise the Lord for his mercy. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You're thankful because the Bible tells you you're no longer under judgment, but you're under mercy and you're under grace and you're under the Holy Spirit. But you understand that before Christ, you were under his judgment. So it's very important that we understand that in our theology and our understanding of the Lord. And then once you understand the judgment and the wrath of God, the cross makes perfect sense. You know, so, well, why did he have to die on the cross? Why, why, why did Jesus, the Son of God, you, when you understand the justice of God and, the, and propitiation that he had to pay the price, the cross makes perfect sense. He took the bullet for us. Let's, begin you, let's continue with the, the, um, with the trumpet judgments here in verse 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7. Uh, and the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. Uh, so here we go. The God's trumpet judgments begin. Verse 7. The first sounded and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. So the first judgment, the first trumpet judgment we see in this second phase of judgments of Revelation is a judgment on the ecological system. We have one-third of the earth, one-third of the trees, one-third of the grass burned up. This is devastating, family. Greta is not going to be happy. 
God is going to destroy the physical world around us so that man will turn his eyes to what will last forever. Think about that, family, as you look at the judgments coming upon the earth. You know, we as human beings, we gravitate towards the things that we can touch, towards the things that we can hold on to. You know, and even in our, in our walk with the Lord, it's so tempting to walk away from spiritual things and hold on to the physical things. But it's going to get so bad during the great tribulation that God is going to say, okay, i got to start removing things. So that, this is grace. We're going to see this 12 times in this one chapter. 12 times you're going to hear the uh, one-third, 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 one-third. Why is he saying one-third? Because he's showing grace. He's removing a little bit more, a little bit more. By the time you get to Revelation chapter 16, he's removing it all. He, 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 he is removing it all. But what he's doing, though, is he's forcing the people living during the Great Tribulation to turn their eyes away from the physical world and put their eyes spiritually towards heaven. Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Everything we see in the world is temporary. It is passing. But the things that are of God are eternal. And God will do whatever it takes to get your attention. Even in this life, here and now, he'll do whatever it takes. He wants you to experience his love, his truth, his grace, and his mercy. And he'll do whatever it takes to get you to that point of turning your eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let no one mislead you on this passage right here. Um, the earth, planet earth, the system that we live in, earth itself longs for this day. The earth, the planet itself, the oceans, the land, the skies, the seas, they are all crying out and they are longing for this day to come. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 20 through 22. He says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Even the planet is looking forward to this day where God completely removes sin, evil, and corruption and makes it a new heaven and a new earth. We long for it. The earth longs for it. It longs for this perfection. The perfection is coming. Let's continue. Verse 8. Verse 8, we'll look at the second judgment. Uh, it says, the, the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. Verse 9. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea had life, died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So here we have the second judgment in verses 8 and 9. And what is this? Many scholars believe that this is a, a meteor. This is a meteor that wipes out one-third of ocean life and, and one-third of the ships. So he, he started with the plants, the trees, and, and all the green growth in the world. Now he turns his attention to the oceans. Um, and it, it, we believe a great mountain. It's very important that when you look at verse 8, he says something like. Did you notice that? In other words, John 
from Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, he's taken in the spirit, he's seeing things in the spirit realm, and all these descriptions throughout the great tribulation, he'll preface it with, it looks like. So in other words, it's something he's never seen before, but he's doing his very best to describe what he's seeing. And he says, something like a great mountain is burning with fire. What does that sound like? Sounds like a meteor. Sounds like some kind of meteor that's going to uh, wipe out. Uh, and by the way, scientists today have named an asteroid that they believe will impact planet Earth. It's called 1950DA. According to the Journal of Science, it has a 1 in 8,300 chance of hitting planet Earth. It is one kilometer wide. That's a picture of it that they've taken through satellite imagery. Uh, this one kilometer wide, that's three quarters of a mile wide for those who are not at speed on kilometers. They estimate the impact will be the equivalent of one million tons of TNT. You can go and research this for yourself, okay? This is something that science has discovered. But before your heart start to panic, do not run out to the grocery store. <laughs> Don't clear off the shelves with all the bread and the milk because everybody else wants some bread and milk. And also, the projected date of 1950DA is March 16th, 2880. So we got another 850 years before this thing hits, okay? So, you know, I find this amazing that they... A projected impact date on planet Earth is March 16th, 2880. That's, um, that's actually uh, 860 years from now. And, and I wonder how they come up with these, these numbers and these statistics. You know, there's a reason why when you go look at the local weather report, they only project out 10 days. Because we don't know what's going to happen. But anyway, they're saying that. That's what they're saying. 28, 20, 2880, March 16th, 1950. It's called, I said 1950, that's the name of the meteor, 1950DA. This, this, but this meteor that is talked about in the book of Revelation, uh, it's going to be devastating. It's, it's, it's going to be devastating. Contrary to popular belief, we do not receive the majority of our oxygen from the rainforest and trees. Please check me on this. Science tells us that 50 to 80% of our oxygen comes from where? The sea, it, actually 50 to 80% of our oxygen on planet Earth, it comes from the plankton that's in our oceans. So, so not only during the Great Tribulation period will oxygen levels drop to dangerous levels, but the stench of rotted sea life will make it very difficult to breathe during the Great Tribulation. It's going to be a very tough time. You know, in addition to that, we see the ships being destroyed in verse 9. Commerce will be destroyed. One-third of the ships being destroyed. They estimate on any given day that there are 50,000 uh, uh, ships around the planet, traversing the planet, moving cargo, moving uh, logistics around. But one-third of those will be destroyed. You know, going back to the meteor, you know, I, I was thinking about this, and I, I did a little research this week on, on meteors that... Um, Surround the planet, but they say that at any given moment, that uh, there's 2,000 meteors in the vicinity of planet Earth that, that could come into collision with planet Earth. Many of the meteors are small; they hit the the Earth's atmosphere and they're burned up. 
and we never see them. But what keeps us safe? What keeps a meteor from penetrating the earth and, and knocking us, smashing us to pieces going down I-26? What, 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 what protects? Who's in control of the meteors in the universe? Who's in control of all the planets? Who is the sovereign Lord and he's got his fingers on everything? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He controls all the meteors that are floating around in this universe. Listen to Colossians 1.16. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, Paul's talking about Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Here it is, verse 16. All things, you know what all, thing, you know what all means in the Greek? It means all. All things have been created through him and for him. He controls them. He's the one that puts the planet in motions. He is the one that causes the earth to orbit the sun. He is the sovereign Lord over the universe. Verse 10. Verse 10. Let's look at the, I believe this is the third, third trumpet judgment. Um, the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Verse 11, the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. So trumpet blast number three by the present angel. They call them the presence angels in the throne room of God is this third judgment. And this affects what? The water supply. The water supply. That word Wormwood, it means... uh, the, the, the word that's used there, it means bitterness, it means poison and death. This star that's going to fall is going to have a devastating effect on the water and the environment. The, this, this word wormwood uh, became a very intriguing word back in the 1980s. Does anybody remember what happened on April 26, 1986? By a show of hands. Anybody remember what happened on April 26th, 1986? I think I was like maybe ninth grade, ninth or 10th grade. On April 26th, 1986, in Chernobyl, Ukraine, there was a nuclear power plant that had a partial meltdown. It was a terrible accident where eight tons of radioactive material escaped into the atmosphere. 8,000 precious souls were lost in its tragedy. Another 200,000 people were made sick because of the radiation. Scientists tell us, told us and tell us today it will take 20,000 years to recover from this accident. This is one of the greatest tragedies of our lifetime. But here's, the, here's where I'm bringing this into our text. Shortly after that event, on July 26th, 1986, the New York Times ran an article on the front page of the New York Times entitled Chernobyl Fallout, Apocalyptic Tale and Fear. There's the cover of the New York Times and the article have a red box around it. In this article, a prominent Russian uh, man quoted from Revelation chapter 8 where a great star fell from heaven and the water became wormwood and many men died from the poisoned waters. He then showed the New York Times writer 
uh, a Ukrainian dictionary he had where the definition of the word wormwood is, guess what? Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Now, question. Does this mean that Chernobyl is the fulfillment of this prophecy? Probably not. But it could be a prophetic picture of what it'll be like during the Great Tribulation. It's going to be very difficult and very tough times for the people living during this Great Tribulation period between Revelation chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 18. But here you have wormwood, which just means bitterness, poison, and death. And in the, it'll fall on the rivers and the water supply, and it will be very difficult hour. You know, I, th- I think if I was living during the Great Tribulation, which I don't believe will be here, I believe we'll be raptured up at the beginning, I, I think God would have my attention. I think, I think the Lord would have my attention. I think I would fall on my knees and cry out for mercy and, and put my trust in him. But we're going to see, and, and, and also you've got to keep in mind that this chapter doesn't say it, but we had chapter before, uh, Revelation chapter um, 7, talks about there'll be 144,000 Jews. There will be people preaching the gospel throughout the, throughout the entire period of the Great Tribulation. And hopefully people will turn to the Lord. But it's going to be tough. Let's look at the, uh, the final one that we'll look at this morning in our study. And that's found in um, verse 12. It says, The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun... There, there's... there's there's five phrases repeated in this verse. See if you can catch them by the, by the end of reading it. The fourth angel sounded in a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars were struck, and a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. So the fourth trumpet judgment here in this phase two of the, of the judgments is one-third of all light sources will be taken away. You know, the, the moon, the stars, the sun. You know, it's, you ever, you ever you been to see Batman? It's going to be Gotham-like. It's going to be Gotham-like. Me and my son went to go see that movie, and it was like there wasn't a single moment in that movie of daylight. It was just, it was always, it was always dark. It was always dark in the movie. So I think that's a good picture of what it'll be like based on verse 12, that a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, everything that produces light, everything that enables us to see around us uh, will be darkened. But does anybody see grace in this passage? Does anybody see God's mercy, God's truth, God's grace in this passage? We've kind of been going through it. As th- this Verse 12, he uses the word a third five times. But if you look at the whole chapter, the phrase a third is used 12 times in this one chapter. When we get to Revelation chapter 16, it's not going to be a third. It's going to be everything burning up. But even he, he, God, God is, is amping things up. He's, he's, turning, he's turning up the temperature. And he's getting men to come to their senses. He's getting people to turn to him. God is turning the temperature up so that hopefully people will turn to him. Why is he doing that in the great tribulation? Why, why is God doing that? Why, why, is, 
Why is it God just wiping them all out? Why is it one-third, 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 one-third? Why? I believe because during the Great Tribulation, John 3.16 will still be in effect, which is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says God takes no delight in the death of the wicked, okay? God does not appoint people. God does not appoint no one to hell, okay? They, they perish because they reject the kind offer of salvation in Christ. And even during the great tribulation, he, they, they, we're going to see, it's about five or six chapters away, we're going to see it's going to get to a point where there's an eagle, an eagle flying through the air, proclaiming the gospel, clear of all the mayhem, but the, 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 the eagle is going to be proclaiming the gospel because he's not willing that none should perish. And if, if they will just turn to Christ, put their trust in him, they will be forgiven. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But there's only one way for a person to be forgiven of their sin. They got to trust in the Lamb. They got to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice. They got to put their faith and trust in Him. See, you you got to, as you study each chapter in the book of Revelation, you, you, you have to, some portions of Scripture, you have to zoom in to see exactly what's happened, to see exactly what's taking place with the judgment. But then you have to zoom out and look at five, the chapter ahead, chapter behind it, then five chapters ahead and five chapters behind it to see the big picture. It's, it's slowly getting to a point where he's, just, he's, he's taking everything away from them. You know, it's kind of like when a, when a child gets in trouble. You know, you take one thing away. They get in trouble again. You take two things away. They, they, keep, they continue to rebel. You take the next thing away. Before you know it, your child has nothing. Why? Because you're trying to get their attention. And that's what God is doing during the great tribulation. He takes no delight in the wicked perishing, but he wishes for all to come to salvation in Christ. And, you know, we got to pray, family. We got to pray today because people need the Lord. People need Jesus. And it hurts my heart to think that someone could go through this life and not experience salvation, not experience the forgiveness of sin and the love of Christ. You know, I look at people and I'm like, I understand you may not believe this. I understand you may not understand this, but this is for you. This is for you, friend. He died on the cross for you. Romans chapter five, verse eight says, God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves people. And all I can reflect back to is before I came to Christ. I remember I was working right down the street in 1988 at Chuck E. Cheese Pizza right here at the corner of St. Andrews and I-26. And I, I was a headbanging, motley crew, loving Guns N' Roses, headbanging, crazy dude. 
washing dishes. And one of my buddies that, that, that I ran with, he came in, that, he came in that, that night and he said, dude, I got saved. And he just starts talking about Jesus. And he just starts talking about salvation. And I thought to myself, what in the world has he got himself into? Is he into a cult? <laughs> I was like, I didn't understand it. I thought it was just a religion. Like, okay, you found religion. I'm good for you. Whatever makes you happy. If that makes you happy, you do your thing. But no, he had experienced salvation. And he was sharing the gospel with me. But in my mind, I, I didn't see it. I couldn't see the big picture. I couldn't see the big picture that, I, that what I really needed was forgiveness of sin. What I really needed was a heart of stone removed and the Holy Spirit put inside of me. It wasn't until the Lord opened my eyes and I saw this beautiful, glorious gospel. Man, this gospel, this, and, I, and, and people like, I, mean, I love this phrase, I'm, I'm not criticizing it. People like to talk about, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which, by the way, I love that statement. Now, does the Bible, New Testament say, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? It doesn't use those exact words, but that's the essence of the Christian life. The essence of the Christian life is that you invite, you repent of your sins, you put your trust in Christ, and you invite him to come into your life, okay? And it's John chapter 15, abiding, having abiding a relationship with him, where you love him, you experience his love, uh, he loves you, you love him, and you live your life in his love, in his truth, in his grace. That's what the world needs. And they won't have to worry about none of this. None of this. If they'll just come to Christ. Don't get religion. Don't get tradition. Uh, it's about you loving Christ. And it's about your love for Christ growing till you come to a place of love and obedience and you leave the old life behind. That's what God wants from us. That's what God wants from us. He wants your heart. He wants what's on the inside. Give him what's on the inside and he'll take care of all the stuff on the outside. He'll, he'll, don't worry, he's got a plan. He'll disciple you, he'll sanctify you, He'll work in you, and he'll give you new life. Let's wrap this up. Verse 13. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. This eagle is saying, is, is saying there's more to come. There's more to come. Those three words, woe, 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 uh, John uses those in the next chapter. And when he says, woe, 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 guess what he means? Woe, woe, woe. It's intense what we're going to see next week as these demonic, satanic creatures come out of the abyss and, and, and go to inflict pain on people. And they, they can't die for like five months. You know, God is just taking it up. He's, he's stepping it up. Because he wants people to know his truth. He wants people to know his grace. But whenever you see woe in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's a woe, stop. Think about what you're doing. This is not a good decision. Or it, it also means, woe means to, to brace yourself. To brace yourself. And we'll see that uh, next week. Because it, it gets more and more 
intense. And it, what it does, what it does, it just shows you, as you study the book of Revelation, it shows you how deeply ingrained sin and corruption is in our culture. I don't even think we see the big picture most of the time. We don't see the human depravity and, and the consequences of sin in our world. It's deeply ingrained in our world, but God's got a plan. God will take care of it. So what do we learn in closing? What, what does, the question you should ask yourself when you study any Bible passage from Matthew to Revelation in any Old Testament passages, what does this chapter teach me about God? What, did, what, did, what do you and I get to leave here today with? What did, what did we learn from our study of God's word about the nature and the character of God and, and, and our relationship with him? Number one, the first thing, is our prayers go up to heaven. Our prayers go up to heaven like an incense before the Lord. So what should we do when we leave here? Let's pray more. Let's fill heaven more with the fragrance of, of our prayers, of our intercession, and our praise. And also, think about this next time you're singing songs. You know, uh, I'm with you. I've, 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 been, I've been in church for 30 years now. You're looking at the lyrics, and you're just singing along, and you're just, you're just going through the motions. You're just singing a song. But next time you're, you're worshiping the Lord, and you're singing songs, think about this, because this is true. Praises are rising from your heart to the throne room of God. Let's be a people. You be a Christian that fills heaven with the fragrance of your prayers, of your intercession, and of your praise. The second thing we under, that we understand that Revelation chapter 8 teaches us about God is this. We understand that God is righteous and holy. God is righteous and holy. Yes, he is abounding in love. He's abounding in grace. He's abounding in compassion. He's abounding in truth. But at the same time, the Lord is the judge of all the earth. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we need to not have a, a one-sided view of God, but a complete biblical view. That's why we teach the whole Bible, the whole council, and we look at all the things that talk about the Lord. So you have a, a complete picture of who God is. And number three, I, I, I see in this passage, God will do whatever it takes to get people's attention. God will get, he will do whatever it takes to get people's attention. And I believe he does that even in this life, in the here and now. You know, if you're a Christian and, and you stray away from the Lord, he's going to get your attention. You know what? People, people you know, think they can run away from the church or run away from the pastor. You're right. You can run away from the church. You can run away from the pastor. And I'm not, not, not going to try to chase you down. I'll reach out to you and show you some love. But more important than me reaching out to someone who's walked away from the faith or who's, who's walked away from the church God is the one who goes after us and he will do whatever it takes to get people's attention when he calls them. He is not willing that none should perish, but that all come to saving faith in Christ. Our, the most famous Bible verse, we all know it. I said, I said it a while ago, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That Bible verse is the theme of every book of the New Testament. This is the theme of the Bible. 
John 3.16. Therefore, family, you and I as believers, let's believe in Christ with all of our heart. Let's trust in Christ with all of our heart. And let's serve him with all of our heart. Because hopefully, each and every one of you guys, you've come to a place where you said, Uncle, (laughs) you said, Lord, I surrender. I surrender to you. And I'm living my life for your truth and your glory and your grace and your love. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this morning's service. Thank you for this study in Revelation chapter 8. And um, Father, help us to understand, have a complete picture of how you reveal yourself to us in your word. That you're a God of truth, love, grace, holiness. You're righteous. You are the judge of the world. And we praise you, Lord God. And we thank you, Lord, for your um, amazing grace demonstrated to us. Lord, I pray that this study of Revelation chapter 8 will cause within each and every one of us a deeper love for you, Christ, a deeper commitment to you, and a deeper commitment to go out and be a witness of your grace and your truth. For Lord, we love you and we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.